0: This is podcast 332, entitled What Church Means to Me, and it's uh, uh, my ecclesiology. I'm trying to say as plainly and truthfully as I actually believe at this point in ministry and life what um, one's uh, preferred uh, understanding of the church is. And uh, I say it because it's very fresh, a kind of uh, modest thunderbolt that came upon Mary and me both just a couple weeks ago in King's College Chapel on Christmas. Christmas morning. We were very privileged to be able to attend um, a much sought after uh, service, actually, the 11 o'clock Christmas um, Lessons and Carols in the King's College Chapel. And uh, we were there with members of our family, and it was kind of a renewal of our. appreciation for the English tradition of uh, hymnody, of psalmody, and of liturgy that we saw expressed in that very, very traditional, but by no means dead, actually fully vital and alive and very moving and utterly inspired, inspiringly beautiful service. And it made me reflect again on the long journey ecclesiastically. Uh, It's been a journey in one place, however. It's not been a Canterbury trail. It's been a kind of journey inwardly in one place, and it's what I want to talk about today in hopes of giving you some um, something that you might be able to work with yourself as you look at church and the whole question of what church do I want to be in and how do I want to be in, in any church? Do I wish to be in any church? I'm a Christian, but what does that actually mean in terms of the tradition of the various possibilities? And it's a very difficult question to answer. It's a very difficult one, and uh, my journey, as it were, is not yours, but um, it uh, shed light as I attended that remarkable and really stunning, existentially stunning service. And I want to say two things. First is... um, the nature of reactivity in understanding what you really want and need and desire in a church. This may not be a question to you if you're not at all interested, but if you're listening to this podcast, you may well be interested in some form of kind of envelopment within the overall Christian faith, some materialization of what it means to be a Christian in a community. These are clichés, but they're true clichés as you go through your life right up to the end of it, humanly speaking. And, um, I want to talk about reactivity for a minute, and then I want to talk just a tad about my own journey as it has come to sort of finally, and I think really enduringly, uh, find its place in the manger. Uh, The first thing is it became very apparent um, sort of midway through my ministry, I didn't really realize it at first, that almost all the clergy I met, and well, most of the clergy I met, and I large majority of the bishops that I met were former Baptists. Or... Put it another way, former evangelicals of one stripe or another, but usually former Baptists. And they had been um, people who, as young persons, had um, had been very uh, negatively uh, um, impacted by legalistic slash moralistic Christianity, especially in the area, as all people are, at least say they are, in the area of sex. But in general, in tone, not just in substance. And had left it. There were a number who were former Roman Catholics, and they had, in every single case that I knew, had left the Church of Rome Rome, in order to marry someone I knew of no exceptions to that, in terms of bishops at least, and actually come to think of it in terms of clergy, but the large majority were... um, young men who had become middle-aged men uh, who had um, left the evangelical world in favor of something that was not uh, hectoring and uh, repressive, as they saw it, uh, was more, shall we say, open to the world, perhaps in a positive sense, what it was meant, and also aesthetically bearable, aesthetically bearable. And then in college, they had attended somehow or somehow been exposed to an Anglican liturgy that was fairly well done, and they immediately realized that the the verticality of it as opposed to the horizontality of what they had been. And they were sort of attracted to the kind of ethos of it, and they then embraced the strong social progressivism that's been part of the thing for a long time, but is at an all-time high at this moment. I I grew up in it, and it was always socially um, justice... pointed, directed, but it was not um, as extreme as it is now and also there was always room for deeply religious voices for the vertical, some who weren't that interested in the social gospel but were terribly interested in the pastoral care and ultimately the conversion of souls, whether Anglo-Catholic or low church. There were always those people. There really aren't there anymore in the official institution, although there are exceptions. I'm well aware there are exceptions. But um, they don't have much of a future if the institution national doesn 't allow for them, and at this moment it 's not but that's something that may develop and may alter. But what I want to say is, if you are looking for something in a church that is based on reaction, and it can work the other way too. I've met Episcopalians who are members of the Lutheran brethren who are reacting against their sort of what they regarded as sort of their socially upward, uh, upper middle class origins and their mom and dad and the sort of James Gould cousins approach to the Episcopalian faith, which was very real. It was part of the social establishment in many ways for many years in this country... um by no means as malign as it's somehow portrayed. Very benign in general, and very noblesse oblige in general. But nevertheless, they're looking for something different, and they go the other direction from the Canterbury Trail. Um, but the vast, uh, the movement that I've seen is always coming from the right to the left. You might say from the Baptist world to the world of the Episcopal Church, because it sort of opens a door into something that is aesthetically more satisfying and more beautiful, and more vertical aesthetically, liturgically, and is also sort of kind of, I don't know, cool, but the, um, the problem with that is A, you're, you're never quite satisfied because the Episcopal Church as a whole is fairly low octane, and if you're looking for something high octane, even aesthetically, you'd do better to go to Cardinal Lefebvre, or what is his name? Cardinal Vigano, is that his name? You, you, several of my friends have become very, very conservative Roman Catholics recently, my old friends, and that's one way to do it, and even then, you it's not quite right because you're dealing with Pope Francis and his crew, which are a very different group, sort of Bishop Edmund Browning in the, in the Church of Rome. Um, so, uh, if you're looking for something out of reactivity, not only will you never find it to your full satisfaction, but the sort of aim is wrong. Uh, the, the The fundamental motivation is wrong. It's just like women. If you're reacting against your mother to get somebody unlike your mother, you're going to inevitably make an error. But or similarly, if you're if you're uh, just wanting someone just like your mother, you'll make a mistake. You 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 don't want to be in reaction one way or the uh, other. Um, you want to be Able to ask much more definitely. Where is God most likely to be felt? Where am I going to see God? Where can I meet God, especially in my pain? How can I how can I find the God who heals, redeems, and um, holds? And where is He to be found? And that's the question. If you're looking uh, looking for a love to call my own, you know the Jay Giles band. Where where are you going to? Um, you know I know a guy who 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 lives in the same town that Jay Giles. Used used to live in and we used to see him in the post office. Can you believe it? What a holy place. Anyway, um, it wasn't actually Jay Giles. It was the other guy. But anyway, um, the uh, power of uh, this um, uh, vision is that you're just looking for God. Um, you're not looking for something to make up for a deficit. Because you're inevitably going to sort of overreact or overcompensate. It happens all the time. A displacement is called in psychology, and um, so that's something to that really examine. Whether you're a churchman, Mary was uh, is currently on an interview group uh, with a discernment committee for the diocese in which we live most of the year. For a chap who wants to become an Episcopalian priest, lovely people, and she's on a committee, and they do these Zoom calls, and every single person on the committee is a former Baptist. I mean, every single. One or, or a former evangelical, without exception. And they're all nice people, male and female. They're all lovely Christian people, but they're all, all of them are former evangelicals. And it's sort of funny. Um, uh, her experience is different, and I grew up in it, but I grew up in it in a very, because my mother was a Christian scientist, we had some, you might say, very sincere, full-blooded, albeit uh, you know, non-medical uh, religion on one hand, but she saw as she had been as a child, she saw that I was baptized as a little, tiny one in an Episcopal church in a very um, lovely enclave up in Maine and she, she saw that, or somebody saw that I went to an Episcopal um, prep school for eight years where we had Episcopal chapel morning prayer every single day for eight years um, and during Lent and Advent Ye mayor, the more and more. So I got a full, uh, full uh, uh, tummy of episcopalianism, and the thing about it was there was nothing to react to. That's very good. It was, it was low octane. And it was a little bit about Jesus the Master and Jesus the Carpenter, and that's good, and a lot of psalmody and great hymns, and uh, some beautiful prayers that I never really understood until much later um, that were fairly rote in the way they were delivered, with exceptions. Every so often you meet a very holy minister, a very holy rector, but usually he had been an evangelical. It was so funny. But, um, But nevertheless, occasionally you met something that felt a little like the presence of God, but only occasionally, but there was nothing to react against. It was absolutely non-moralistic. There was no heavy-duty attacks on uh, adolescent sexuality or sexual drives. Uh, Everything was very permissive, and yet still God was in there, especially in the 1928 prayer book uh, liturgy. So um, there was nothing to react to. So when I really was in pain and great, great difficulty in adolescence, real, real, really looking for hope and answers in a time of what felt like tremendous suffering, as always, vis-a-vis relationships, um, I uh, I had the amazing experience of, of meeting some evangelical Episcopalians who were sort of prep school types, but had been basically influenced by John Stott. They were sort of a few real Episcopalians, but who had been kind of touched by people like uh, um, David Watson and John Stott, in particular, J.I. Packer, and they said, well, you know, if you really want to find answers about, to the God questions you have, but still want to, want to you know, you're not in reaction to the context from which you came. You're not needing to be something that you're, quote, not or haven't been, go to England, where there are these evangelical Anglican minority that are very strong, actually, of sort of 40% at times, more like 25% most of the time, of uh, the clergy and bishops even, and of uh, seminaries. And so I went over with Mary soon, uh, after I went initially, where um, everybody was really believed in God. I mean, I'll get off the bus in Nottingham, and I meet Michael Green, may he rest in peace, the famous canon Michael Green. And, and I said, how do you do canon Green? I think you must be canon. Green, you look like the pictures I've seen. And he said, "Well, who are you?" And I said my name. And I had my big luggage with me because f- I'd moved it, it, with two bags from from Washington D.C. to um, to St. John's, Nottingham. And I said, "Well, Canon Green." And he said, "Wait a minute." He said, um, I'm, "I'm. Don't call me. I'm not Canon Green to you. I'm. I'm Michael. We are Christians here." <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't breathe. We're Christians here. Don't call me Canon Green. I was just floored. I mean, all of a sudden, you could be a real Christian in the context of an ancient tradition. And that was totally, uh, totally news to me. Um, the um, power of that, it came across only one year later. And I think it was, golly, it was very early 1975. Uh, we were at an ordination of a, of, a, of a fellow student whom we loved in Blackburn Cathedral, sort of in the northwestish of England. And it was quite high church. Church. The bishop was a little high church, but not super high church because remember, we never saw a stole for two years at our seminary. Never once. When we had bishops and archbishops and people from all over the world, senior figures in the Church of England all the time. Came. I never saw a stole. I never saw a Cal the entire time, never, not once. So it was everybody was Mister, if if not Michael, uh, that was better. So here we were, and uh, I go into this place, and it's a rather high church, and there's the dean with the big cathedral cope on at the back. And as I'm going out, I said, "How do you do, Mister Dean? I'm uh, a friend of so and so's who's just been ordained." And he said, "Oh," he said, "and and where are you studying?" I said, "Well, actually, I'm studying at the same seminary from which he came, St John's Nottingham." And the dean just suddenly burst into a radiant, rather jovial smile. He said, "'Oh, you are. Well,' and then he lowered his voice, "'Well, brother, I went, I'm an old Jonian myself.'" we're Christians here. He said the same thing, and then he turned to me, and he sort of put his thumbs and fingers on his huge, beautiful, ancient cathedral cope and he said, oh, he said, he said you've caught me on, a, on, a, on an embarrassing day. He said, he said, we only wear these four times a year, and at ordinations. He said, please, don't, don't think this is the real me. We're Christians here. It cracked me up. Now, this was the dean of the cathedral, or wherever it was where we were, and oh my gosh, it, what a touching, delightful thing. you know, What a glorious, dear powerful witness of the truth in all kinds of clothes well isn't this what you want? I mean, that church, the Church of England, It has a lot of warts, and it's not in good shape right now. The archbishop is not, a good, not doing well. There's a lot I could say about that. It's, uh, it's quite confused at this moment, and it's very much in danger of bowing the knee overly much. You always have to bow the knee a little bit in secondary matters, but you don't have to bow the knee in primary matters. If you do, you're making a mistake, and that's not the way of Christ. And um, be that as it may, there's still room in the Church of England for different points of view. You can actually survive with a traditional biblical point of view on any subject you can name. Uh, there's pressure in the in the culture, of course, and there's some pressure in the church. But you can actually survive while being a traditional Christian and um, call first things first in the Church of England. And uh, it's really quite it has a lot to do with the English national character and uh, history. We could go into that, but it's really quite amazing and quite wonderful. And uh, it's harder than it used to be even when we were there forty years ago, but it's still um, doable. So what is my second point after reactivity, don't uh, I, I invite you to assess your, your church search, your ecclesiology in practice from the standpoint of reactivity and assess what element of it is tied up in a reaction to where you came from. I understand it. It's normal. We all do it, but it's not ultimately enduring if it's not based on something larger, deeper. Uh, just deeper than sheer reactivity, and that's really a problem. And it can be a devastating problem in later life. Secondly, um, it is possible um, with humor to have a real church, provided it has wings, provided it has the wings of conservatives and liberals and uh, is not intolerant of different points of view, and particularly at this point in time, not intolerant of conservative views or shall we call them traditional views. And that's very hard to manage because we're dealing with schools of thought that are very unforgiving, um, Thank mm-hmm. you mostly in the church, that is, on the progressive side. It's not really two-sided. It may have been two-sided years ago. I'm perfectly willing to admit that. But at this moment, my experience is that the intolerant voices, for the most part, uh, come from the socially (coughs) progressive side, and that doesn't have to be. I mean, I grew up with Dean Sayre, who's now a great hero. I literally grew up eight years under the deanship of Dean Sayre uh, of the Francis B. Sayre in the National Cathedral, and he was a a very, a mighty man of social progressive uh, Martin Luther King had dinner at his the deanery of Washington Cathedral only four days before he was assassinated, and my classmate by one year, one year below me, Tom Sayer, remembers that night vividly, and that was four days before Dr. King was assassinated. So there was a very, we grew up with a very strong um, uh, progressive end in terms of the times in which we were living, and yet, and yet, and it was verging on intolerance of traditional points of view, but hadn't quite gotten there yet and in many parts of the country the episcopal church was still able to hold within itself um different uh, um different approaches more vertical ones um, more horizontal ones now for reasons that have more to do with American life as a whole it's not quite so easy matter of fact it's very rare it's been a tragedy actually in my own career although I'm still in it the um, and I will remain in it God willing I will remain in it uh, because I saw at an age of great need the possibility of having a biblical or Pauline point of view or Augustinian point of view low anthropology high Christology point of view as I understood it and it changed my life. It had saved me. It had saved me in a very, very difficult period of life and I owed it a great deal. I could see the possibility of that Christian colonel, kernel, K-E-R-N-E-L, existing within a mainstream denomination because we had blessed, holy years within the Church of England. I mean, Yanani Le came and visited and only a few years later we know what happened to him. I mean, here I was in the presence of saints uh, and yet they were devoted, humble, Members of the Church of England or of the Church of England, uh, the Communion, as it was in other countries. So I leave that with you, and we conclude with a little bit of a hymn from uh, just a verse or two from a hymn from uh, Timothy Dudley Smith, who was the evangelical Bishop of Thetford, who wrote this very lovely hymn, which is almost sort of a mantra for traditional Anglican evangelicals. Love you.